Hey guys, it's Adam. And before we get to this Lost Ass featuring Scott Lowell, I just needed to um, record an update and say some things because this episode that you're about to hear from 2017 uh, features my original co-host on the show, ADD Jeff, whose real name was Jeff Dembinski. And we recorded the intros for this episode back on March 26th. Um, before I went down to Florida for my naked shows. And while I was down there, I learned from Romaine Patterson's Facebook page that Jeff had passed away. Um, I don't know if everyone listening to this um, knew that already. If I'm just breaking the news to you now, then I'm very sorry to be the one to tell you. Um, I was shocked, and I'm sure you are as well, if you knew... Jeff or were familiar with him from listening to him on the Derek and Romaine show all these years or on my show. Um, So I thought I would just talk about him a little bit and pay tribute. Um, I didn't know Jeff all that well. We we weren't particularly close, but um, what I did know of him, I knew of him from the show, from Derek and Romaine. He was always on the show with them. I knew he was a close friend of Romaine's and he brought a lot of um, fun and craziness to that show. He had an exuberant personality and was very outspoken. And um, I think I first met him in person when Derek brought him to a party at my house. It was either a birthday party or New Year's Eve party maybe 10 years ago. And um, and so that was when I put a, a face to a name as far as ADD Jeff. And then... Um, when Derek and Romaine started talking to me about having my own podcast on the newly launched DNR Studios network, um, at first we were going to maybe I was going to record it from home. We didn't really have a plan in place. So Jeff came over to my apartment and we were trying to figure out a way that I could record from home and still have it go out live um, over the, uh, the DNR channel. And ultimately we couldn't figure out a way to do it and we decided I would just have to do it in studio, but Jeff spent hours of time working to try to create that. And then my first day in the studio, I didn't really know what to expect. Derek and Romaine just said, show up at this time and you'll record your first show. And when I got there, Katie was there to work the board and to kind of oversee production. Um, There were a couple interns there and there was ADD Jeff who was kind of there to help me in any way I needed and to take phone calls Um, and put them on the air. And so he sort of just became my de facto co-host, which lasted for about 15 episodes before I said, "Uh, Jeff, I love you, but this just isn't working out. Um, He was great. I mean, you know, the thing I liked most about him, and you'll hear it in this episode, is he just had an infectious laugh. And I loved um, when he would laugh on the show. It, It added so much and made me feel like I was doing a good job as host. Um, But, you know, Jeff had a really big personality and a contentious personality, and he would sometimes get us off track and kind of, you know, want to fight me on something that I didn't consider to be terribly important. And it sort of came to a head when we had Michael Lucas on the show. Um, Michael Lucas, porn star and porn director, who... I am not a huge fan of, but it was his 20th anniversary of his porn career, and 
uh, his publicist offered him up, and I said, okay, people might be interested in that. And from the get-go, Jeff was like, I don't like him. I don't want him in studio. And I was like, Jeff, that's fine. You can have those feelings, but he's our guest, and I don't ever want to invite somebody into my home and make them feel uncomfortable, you know? Like, we can feel the way we feel about him, and we can ask him challenging questions, but we're not going to be rude to him. And Jeff was rude to him during the interview, frankly, and it made me uncomfortable. And after that, I just said, I'm sorry, but I don't think um, you can co-host the show anymore, and that was that. I um, had heard about his struggles with drugs and alcohol. Um, I didn't certainly didn't know the extent of it, and like I said, we weren't close. I never really spent time with him after he left the show in 2017, Um, And I only sort of kept up with him via social media and the DNR show. And then I know at some point Romaine decided not to have him on the show anymore. And she posted, in posting about his passing on her Facebook page last week, she posted a really heartfelt and heartbreaking um, reflection on why she and Iris ultimately decided to not associate with him any longer and um you know and and it was sad it's very sad he was an addict and while we don't know the cause of death yet i'm uh, i wouldn't be at all surprised if drugs and alcohol played a role i assume that they did um addiction is a disease and it's a deadly disease for a lot of people and i'm so so sorry that he wasn't able to overcome it, apparently. And uh, my heart goes out to anyone who knew and loved Jeff, especially um, close friends and family. My heart goes out to Romaine because I know she had to make some really tough choices um, in terms of that friendship. And, you know, I, I think I would have done the same thing she did, which basically was to say, until you get help and can prove that you really are committed to living a sober life, um, you can't be in my life. And that's a choice that a lot of people have to make when there are addicts that they love. And it's painful and it's heartbreaking because you don't want to shun the person and you don't want to isolate them, but um, you have to protect yourself as well. And in, in the case of Romaine, she has a daughter that she also had to protect. And the whole thing is just so sad. So now that I've <laughs> bummed you out completely, I just want to say um, I'm sorry that Jeff is no longer with us. Um, I will miss his laugh. I will miss his spirit. And um, I guess in retrospect, I'm glad that we decided to run this particular episode because I think um, it's a classic Jeff episode in addition to featuring JB in a very embryonic stage and a terrific interview with Scott Lowell in his first appearance ever on The Ass. So, um, yeah, without further ado, here it is, The Lost Ass. And rest in peace, Jeff. Warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it, will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Watch me shove this beer can up my ass. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. 
Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. This is all fuckery, 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 fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now, give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. Yes, thank you, Kevin Israel. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but it's a brand new episode of sorts. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, April 9th. In the year 2022 at dnrstudios.com and the DNR Cast app, which is the only place to hear this podcast throughout the week that it first airs. If you listen anywhere else, leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whichever audio platform you use. Email me your dick pics, questions, comments, and money. To Adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page, download the comedy albums, get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Remember, you can call the ass hotline anytime, even when we're not on the air, and leave us a mail of voice. A voicemail, even. The number for that is 804-TALK-ASS. That's 804-825-5277. Get vaccinated and stand with Ukraine. Um, Today we're doing something kind of special. This is a lost ass. This is an episode that aired um, originally back in 2017, but it's been heard by almost no one based on the number of downloads. (laughs) Um, I've explained this before, but we were not putting this episode up on... um, platforms other than dnr studios for the first like six months that we did it so then i took all of those episodes at once and did a massive dump all at the same time and as a result most of them have only been heard by like uh, several dozen people and this is a great episode it's episode 11 from august 6 2017 with scott lowell who played ted on queer as folk and is also an old family friend uh, which I'll explain in a moment. But first, it's time to introduce everyone's favorite chubby chorizo, straight from Duchess County, my co-host, Steve Cesaro. Hello, everybody. Hello, Duchess. I'm so excited to hear about your ass dump today. My ass <laughs> dump. What could be more appealing for the listeners right. than that? <laughs> also with us is the queen of fuckery, <laughs> Jordan Bercy. Hello, JB. <laughs> I'm first Hello. naming you. Yeah, I guess I'll be trouble. You're not in trouble. <laughs> You're not in any trouble. Um, Queer's Folk, uh, as as you'll hear on the, this episode, was a huge influence for a whole generation of gay people, including JB. So I thought I would ask, uh, start out by asking this question of you guys. Which Queer's Folk character do you most identify with? Here's the thing. <laughs> I have not seen Queer's Folk. What? I tried the first episode and I was like, Ugh, I'm already annoyed. Get out. Get out <laughs> now. This was really nice being here. Thank you, audience. I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Like, how dare you? What? Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, <laughs> when did you try watching it? That's the question. When I was in high school. Hmm. So yeah. when it was current. Yeah. Because I, woo, sorry. I do feel like it's a bit dated, like many shows from that time, but um, it was a hugely important show. I've heard. For... My generation, but more importantly, the generation that came after us, the JB generation. So I'm kind of surprised to hear that. But um, are we the same age? No, no, I'm 29. Yeah, me too. Oh. You are not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm 36. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a little older. But uh, okay, to each his own. JB, do you identify with any of those characters? Okay, so here's before I say who, can you most uh, can you guess which character I would I would most likely relate to? Maybe Justin, because oh. he's an artist. Oh, that's way way out there. Oh, well, actually, I I think I'm more of a Mike. 
Oh, interesting. The House yeah. Sparks character. Yeah. Michael. Latin character. Of friends. course, with all the cartoon characters and the superheroes. Yeah, and... like always being little puppy dog to his friends and stuff, make sure they're okay, and then his life is a fucking mess. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would be Justin, because I, I don't, like, Justin to me is like the pretty hot boy who got away with everything. Mm. Like, who just, you know, you know you have those friends who gets away with just fucking murder. That's true. And it's like, what? I, at the time, identified most with Brian uh, mm. because I was a huge slut and, you know, would have sex regardless of the yeah. uh, negative consequences that would come out of it. Um, I think I evolved into more of an Emmett, and I've come to love Emmett the most of all the characters. I think he's the most psychologically healthy. Oh, yeah. He's, he's the most evolved. <laughs> he's both funny and sexy. Um, but I didn't see that at the time. At the time, I didn't think Emmett was sexy. Now I do. And now I feel like I'm just Michael's mom. I'm just sharing glass <laughs> in the diner, being the P-Flag mom. I have to watch this. Um, but, yeah, there's some really lovely moments. And, in fact, um, Entertainment Weekly, back in 2018, they put together the Ultimate Queerest Folk Binge Guide. And um, here are their favorite episodes. Uh, the first is the first episode, season one, episode one. From the first shot of Babylon to the fake butt fiasco, the first episode sets the tone of humor and sensuality that would become the series trademark. We are introduced to Michael, Brian, Emmett, Ted, and Justin out at the club, but the episode ends with Brian meeting his son. He provided sperm to his college friend Lindsay and her girlfriend Melanie. Um, it is a good pilot. Uh, season one, episode two, Queer There and sorry, Everywhere. Just yes. to interrupt. Just like, the, this I knew I relate to Mike because of the first episode when they were on the ledge, and he was like, oh, I guess I'm the lowest lane to your Superman. I was like, bitch, I felt that. I'm the lowest lane to, to your, your Superman. Superman. Yeah, I was like, bitch, I felt that. Like, I know that feeling so well. Meaning what? Meaning, like, you're always there to support your friends, no matter what dumb shit they're doing, and you know it's dumb. And you fucking know it's was dumb. Was that Lois's role? Well, to a point. To, hmm. Like she was, she was that to Superman, but wasn't that to Clark Kent? To Clark Kent, she was. Yeah, she was a cunt. Yeah, but to Superman, <laughs> that's why that reference made. Sense. And Brian is Superman. Mm-hmm. I feel so lost. I feel like that grandmother that doesn't understand what you're talking about. Abuela, like <laughs> Abuelita's putting like pictures of my of faces on the wall, and that's my Facebook wall. That's what I feel is going on right now. Thank you for making me feel old. Well, you can just keep quiet during this. Yes, Daddy. Uh, season one, episode two is called Queer There and Everywhere. It's not until the second hour that we meet the force of nature that is Michael's mom, Debbie, played by Sharon Gless. She's the P-flag pin-wearing waitress at the gay diner. Exactly the job every young gay guy wants their mother to have, right? This episode also sees Brian having his first parental fight with Melanie and Lindsay when the new moms want to have a bris for baby Gus. Season one, episode 13 is called Very Stupid People. Um, Ted uh, says to Emmett, this is a great quote that Scott Lowell says, God is love and God doesn't make mistakes. We're all his, Emmett. He loves us all. Ted professes this after Emmett is almost scared straight. It's one of the most iconic scenes from the series. Season one, episode 22 is full circle when Michael decides to make the grown-up decision to move to Portland with his boyfriend, Brian decides to be forever young and attend Justin's prom, but in the parking lot, Justin is attacked with a bat by his one-time crush slash current bully. Brian steps in to stop the attack, but Justin is severely injured and has to be hospitalized. I remember that episode. That was crazy. Uh, Season 2, Episode 6 is called Mixed Blessings. Michael is now following his dreams and has opened up a comic book store. This is also JB's dreams. While at work, he meets a hot college professor ben played by robert gant 
It's the beginning of one of the show's central relationships. On the more comedic side, Ted is having trouble finding talent for his new porn site and calls on Emmett to perform on command. Season 2, episode 11 is The Wedding. Fate throws Melanie and Lindsay a, a lot of cur curveballs leading up to their big day, but everyone, including Brian, rallies to get them down the aisle. It was the first, this is interesting, it was the first same-sex commitment ceremony of its kind on American TV. So I guess it must have predated the lesbian wedding on Friends. Yes. yes that did. doesn't seem right to me. I, I think... Was I it think, Friends before... I think Friends was before yeah. Queer as Folk. I think this was, uh, but it was because it was a commitment ceremony and not a wedding. Maybe that's why. False facts. Mm. Fake news. Fake news. False facts. Um, episode four, season six is called Death in the Family, where we are introduced to Michael's Uncle Vic, a man who has maxed out his credit cards because he thought he was at death's door from HIV. Though he survived years longer, his family finally has to say goodbye. And then there's another health scare while looking up with while hooking up with the doctor, Brian learns he has a lump on one of his balls. Entertainment Weekly said testicles, but I prefer balls. <laughs> Season four, episode fourteen, Liberty Ride, Michael and Ben get married while in Toronto, only to face the jarring reality of marriage inequality as they cross the border back into the US. Season five, episode ten, I love you. In an episode that seems all too plausible now, Michael is seriously injured when there's a bombing at a political rally in the gay district. The crisis throws everyone into an emotional tailspin and causes Brian to seriously consider how much he has feelings for Justin. And finally, the, season, the series finale, season five, episode 13, entitled We Will Survive. In a satisfying yet heartbreaking series finale, Brian and Justin call off their wedding while Melanie and Lindsay set off for a new life in Canada. See, now you don't have to watch the series, Steve. You know everything that happens. You know, I'm still annoyed. <laughs> you still hate it. I can't hate something I haven't watched. It was just annoyed from the first episode. It just, the angst was annoying. The sort of darkness that they had in that first episode, if I remember correctly, was a lot. And it was that really, I think it was, if I remember, and tell me if I'm wrong, it was sort of that Gilmore patter, right, where things... The speech was really fast. I don't know if they relaxed into it. Am I right or am I wrong? I think I'm right. Uh, Sometimes. I think... it was the only person with the fast talker. Yeah, I think it was pretty well paced. Yeah. I think you need to give it another shot. Yes, right. yes. It's okay. pretty addictive. I am older now. More wise. I was talking to JB before we went on the air. You know, no one ever thinks about how weird that name is, queer as folk. It came from the British series of the same name on which it was based. But yep. the reason why the expression exists in England is it's like a... It's a G-rated way of saying queer as fuck. Because in, with an English accent, they sound the same. Queer as fuck. Queer as folk. Queer as fuck. So it's, like a, it's a play on words, yeah. but it means nothing in this country. And the fact that they didn't change the title is, is sort of odd. Well, wasn't it not back then? It wasn't that long ago, but queer... It has sort of had its resurgence, but back then, queer was like a... It was pretty shocking. Listen, yeah. the whole show was shocking. On the first episode... Uh, Brian has sex with a 17-year-old high school kid. He does. Great. In the English series, yeah. he's 16. Oh. oh, so still consenting age, but still very uncomfortable. Uh, yes. yeah. yeah, and it's not consenting age in every U.S. state. Some states, oh. you got to be 18. Yeah. So it was a really shocking show, and it was the first show that I ever saw, I think the first show that ever existed, with explicit gay sex scenes. Oh, yeah. I mean, they didn't, they didn't move the camera away after the two guys started kissing. You oh, saw wow. asses gyrating and... Faces against crotches. And I mean, it wasn't X rated, but it was fucking, it was a hard R rated. Where is this streaming? <laughs> Showtime, um, I believe. Yeah. 
Anywhere you can find the Google Quest book, I'm pretty sure you'll find tons of links. Meanwhile, Steve, if you don't want to go back and watch the original series, you can watch the reboot. Why not? Which will be airing at some time, they have not announced a date yet, on the Peacock Network. On Thursday, Peacock, or two Thursdays ago, sorry, Peacock announced four new guest stars who will be appearing in the uh, New Orleans-based reboot. The original was based in Pittsburgh. It looked nothing like Pittsburgh. This one's (laughs) going to be based in New Orleans. Um, so here are the new cast members. Lucas Gage, who, if yep. you're watching Euphoria, he's the guy that Nate beats the shit out of and then frames and sends to prison. Oh um, I saw him on an episode of Watch What Happens with Andy Cohen. He's delightful. He's really funny and charming. He was also on that HBO show uh, that everybody loved, White Lotus. Oh. He played the hotel clerk. Whose ass sure. ends up getting eaten by Murray Bartlett. So anyway, Lucas Gage is going to be um, in the show. He will pay, play personal trainer Eric. Um, Marie, an aspiring singer, will be played by comedian Megan Stalter from Hacks, which is a show I love. Yeah. Um, Oli Haskivi, I don't know who that is, will play a friend from the mall named George. And Calvin Seabrooks will play Taylor, a reluctant dinner party guest, um, this is obviously based on the original UK show and the North American remake of the same name. Um, also on the show will be Johnny Sibili. All right, I don't know any of these people. Devin Way, Finn Argus, Jesse James Keitel. I wonder if he's Harvey Keitel's son. Uh, Candace Grace, Ryan O'Connell, Niall DeMarco, and more. Stephen Dunn, director of the independent queer horror film Closet Monster, is set to produce and direct. So that will be exciting. This one's going to have a lot more women. You know, I'm sure there are trans characters, non-binary characters. They're going to update it and and more racially diverse, obviously, than the original, which was entirely white. (laughs) Um, They're going to update it for our times, our woke, woke times. So back to this lost ass that you're now going to hear. Steve, how far have you gone back in the ass archives? Have you listened to every episode or no? I don't think so. I probably should start now as the co-host, so at least I have historical references. I think you need the history. I do, of, of the great beginnings. JB um, was here from almost episode one. Wow. I think yeah. you showed up at like six or seven. Just about. Well, you're on this one. This is episode 11, which, as I said, originally aired on August 6, 2017, in terms of content, it's really one of my favorite episodes from that time. Um, but technically, it's a fucking mess. And I can't even blame JB because Katie, <laughs> Katie was the one running the board at the time. It's, it was grossly overmodulated. And so by the time we get to the phone interview with Scott Lowell, it's like, <laughs> it's like unlistenable. So I thought, well, how can I replay this? So what I did was I uploaded it to GarageBand. And I digitally remastered the episode myself. That's how you you. know it's old. Digitally remastered from Technicolor. Yeah, it's going to sound a little strange. There's a little bit of an echo, and I compressed the audio to make it clearer. Um, But you'll be able to hear it, and it won't drive you crazy like the original one did. Um, But as I said, the content is great. ADD Jeff was my co-host at that time. We had Katie on the board. We had both JB and Lexi as our interns, and you both got to ask Scott Lowell a question. Um, by the way, have you heard from Lexi? Do we know where she is and how her baby is? And... You know, you have to talk to Katie about that because Katie talks to all interns. Okay. Like, Katie keeps contact with all the interns, I want to say. 
She emails here and there, but you have to ask Katie. I I don't do none of that shit. That's right. why my my pay, my plate is full with a whole bunch of people I already need to know. I don't need to know no more new. Well, Lexi announced she was pregnant around that time, yeah, she and did. that baby's got to be like a five year old or four year old now. <laughs> so I'm curious. But anyway, um, so yeah, so aside from the great interview with Scott Lowell, which really is great, uh, we ha- we took multiple phone calls. This is when people used to call in live all the time, including. The late great Charles from Cornhole, and we did a very funny story. Uh, It's not meant to be funny, but we found it funny about a woman calling nine one one because she has a boa constrictor stuck to her face. (laughs) (laughs) Also, our original show open, uh, which I created by myself, and you can tell. And we Um, do that show on Sundays. We did the show on Sundays at three o'clock. It was a very different time. Exactly. Horrible. (laughs) So, but before you hear that episode, I asked Scott Lowell if he wanted to send in a little greeting and let us know what he's working on now. So, uh, first you'll hear from Scott, and then you'll hear the episode in full. Hey there, fans of ass. This is Scott Lowell talking to you on a recording device. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and tuning in today to this piece of Lost Ass. I I am honored to be a part of Lost Ass from what I've always been told, especially by Adam. Lost Ass is really the best ass. The ass you've lost is really the best ass out there. And and I trust Adam on this because he's, he's lost a lot of ass. In his time, a lot of ass. Anyway, we had a lot of fun talking with Adam and JB and Steve and all the other folks there in Assland. And uh, I'm I'm glad you're getting to either re-listen to it now or discover it first for the first time. And if you are listening to this on Saturday, April 9th, when it is being broadcast, and you live in the Chicagoland area, well, guess what? Tomorrow... April 10th, I'm actually going to be in Chicago, my old stomping grounds. I'm going to be taking part in the 50th anniversary of another radio program. Those were the days on WDCB 90.9 FM jazz radio station. They're having their 50th anniversary. The Ash Show is going to get there someday. I know it is. And maybe Adam will be nice and he'll invite me to his 50th anniversary. But for now, we're celebrating those were the days 50th anniversary celebration. It's going to be at the Irish American Heritage Center on North Knox Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, You can get tickets at Eventbrite. But, yeah, look up. Those were the day's anniversary celebration, Chicago. And if you're in Chicago uh, tomorrow on Sunday, April 10th, come out and see us. It's going to be me, my buddy Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec, Tim Kazarinski from Saturday Night Live. Spenguli is going to be there. A whole lot of other people. We're going to be doing live versions of old radio shows on a stage, and hijinks will ensue, I am sure. So come on out. Join us for the taping and the anniversary celebration. And in the meantime, enjoy some more Lost Ass. Thanks, Adam. Get ready for comedy. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. ADD Jeff. Fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. (laughs) And poetry. 
the fact if you're listening later than 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, uh, August 6th, then uh, you may have missed the very, very beginning when you tried to listen live. There was a technical difficulty. We apologize. It will restart every hour on the hour, so you don't have to miss a moment. Um, But for those of you who are listening live, if you can hear me right now, and I hope you can, um, please call us at 844-TALK-DNR. We'll be taking your phone calls. I am here with ADD Jeff. Uh, Katie is producing this bad boy. We have uh, intern Sexy by Sexy Lexi and JB. Um, you can tweet about us using hashtag ASS, A-S-S for Adam Sank Show. And you can always call, uh, again, 844-TALK-DNR or email me at adam at adamsank.com. You guys, we have an enormous show today because Scott Lowell from Queer as Folk is going to be joining us live. Um, hopefully, the show will be heard by the time we... <laughs> Broadcast him live. One never knows on the Adam Sank show. Anything can happen. But Scott uh, played Ted on the iconic Showtime series that ran from 2000 to 2005. He has a million fans who are out there listening and um, and excited to hear him and talk to him. So please call in at the bottom of the hour once he's live uh, to talk to us. But first, ladies and gentlemen, we have breaking news. <laughs> That is our breaking news sound effect. And we rarely have breaking news on this show because it's on a Sunday, but this just happened hours ago. So everyone, hold, your, hold on to your hats. Aaron Carter has come out as bisexual. There's absolutely no reaction from anyone in the studio. Crickets. Uh, Jeff, where's your mic? I repeat, Aaron Carter has come out as bisexual. Now, I have to confess, I, I don't really know Aaron Carter uh, that well. He became a star after I was already an adult, and he was kind of a, a teeny bopper star, right? He, he, he was one of those singers that had lots of, of 10-year-old girls obsessed with him. And he's the younger brother of Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys. Um, he had been in the news recently because he was pulled over by police uh, and charged with driving under the influence and marijuana possession. And he gave a bunch of interviews in which he looked like hell and claimed he didn't have a drug problem. But today, the 29-year-old Aaron Carter tweeted a, an open letter to his fans in which he acknowledges his attraction to both men and women since he was 13. Quote, there's something I'd like to say that I feel is important for myself and my identity that has been weighing on my chest for nearly half my life. This doesn't bring me shame, just a weight and burden I have held onto for a long time that I would like lifted off me. It's very poetic. He goes on to say, I grew up in this entertainment industry at a very young age, and when I was 13 years old, I started to find boys and girls attractive. He then reveals, there were years that went by that I thought about, but I, wait, there were years that went by that I thought about, but it wasn't until I was 17 years old, after a few relationships with girls, that I had an experience with a male that I had an attraction to, who I was worked with, this is a mess, who I also worked with and grew up with. I wonder who that was. I know, right? I'm dying to know who it was. Um, 
I love each and every one of my fans, blah, blah, blah. He just goes on and on and on. But basically, he says he's bisexual, which means he's gay. Yeah. It's the first <laughs> step, always. Gay. Jeff, is your mic on? I can barely hear you. Turn Jeff up. I like to hear Jeff nice and loud. Um, no, I'm just kidding, bisexuals. I don't mean to insult you. Lexi's giving me the stink eye. Uh, I believe that uh, if he says he's bisexual, that he's bisexual. Um, and so good for him. Where's the applause sound effect? Let's applaud Aaron Carter for coming out as bisexual. I've, got, I've always gotten a big old gay vibe from him and from his brother Nick. But Nick is apparently like a Mac daddy who fucks a lot of, uh, of hot chicks. So. I didn't know that. I always thought Nick and Aaron were both a little light in their loafers. Um, but no, Nick is straight and Aaron, we now know, is bi. So good for him. Um, moving on, Jeff, I, I had an exciting day yesterday. I was rafting down the Lehigh River in Pennsylvania. How was that? Well, it was really fun. I was with a, a group called Gay Trippers NYC. I want to give them a shout out because um, they run these really fun trips for gay people, these day trips. And um, we were on a bus for three hours each way from New York City to the Lehigh River, during which I entertained the bus. Are you on the way there you did? I did. Well, I, not in, from the beginning because we left at 6 a.m. and people okay. were fucking like, passed out. But once people woke up, um, I told jokes and I did banter and I did my gay trivia contest. Okay. How'd they do? Not well. <laughs> See? Not well, but better than you guys. Um, I have to say that contest is way too difficult. But, um, but, you know, there were 40 guys playing it, so someone knew the answer to pretty much every question. Right. Um, but the bad news is, while I was on the river, uh, I tumbled out of my raft, which happened to a few people. It's, it's, it's pretty common because we're rafting at a high velocity down these rapids, and when you hit a rock... People tumble out. And so I tumbled out, and I was wearing my Ralph Lauren prescription glasses that also are my sunglasses because they transition, much like Aaron Carter. <laughs> he didn't transition. Well, he transitioned from straight to bisexual. And, this um, is gay. Yes, and, uh, and I tumbled out, and my glasses fell off in the water, never to be seen again. They are about $350 sunglasses. Why would you wear those whitewater wafting? Whitewater wafting? Wafting. Well, the problem is, I, um, not that I wore them, it's that I didn't have one of those things on the back that, yeah. you know, like a chain or a piece of plastic. Everyone else did. Everyone else somehow knew that. No one, no one suggested to me that there was any chance of me falling into the river before I took the trip. So, and I can't see without them, and they're also my sunglasses. So You're blind right now. I'm not blind, but I, I mean, listen, I can see. It's... Things are not crisp in the distance, and I like them to be. And, the, and it was a beautiful trip, so I'm glad I had them, but uh, we have someone on the phone. Yep. Uh, Carl, you say what? It's Charles from Cornville, Arizona. Charles from Cornhole. How are you, sir? At the risk of earning a restraining order from you. Yeah, you're a stalker. Have... Go ahead. Yeah, yep. Uh, anyway, do you do you want me to talk about the question I had no. for Scott? No, I have okay. your question. I have it written down, and I'm going to ask t uh, Scott, and I'm going to give you credit for it. Uh, Charles, oh, from Corn Charles from Cornhole uh, was on my Facebook page earlier, as he is every 10 minutes, and uh, suggested <laughs> a very good question, uh, a strange question, but a good question that, that he wants me to ask Scott Lowell when we talk to him at the bottom of the hour. So, yes, Charles, I will ask him your question. Terrific. Now I'm not picking you up on the on the um, website feed. Jeff, explain what's happening. Uh, there's some technical difficulties that they're working through, but it is on the show.mp3 site. Yeah. Uh, that one. Okay. 
but it's not on the, on, which is a paid one versus the free one, right? Okay. So yeah, it's, I'm on, it's on the paid I'm one, on the, but not the, not free, the free one. one. So That's great, because yeah. I just did a whole live Facebook video promoting the fact that you didn't have to pay for it, and it was free, and anyone could listen. So um, the timing's perfect, but, um, but we're sorry about that, Charles, and we are working on fixing it. I'll just keep hitting refresh. Just keep hitting that refresh button. Thanks for no. calling in, honey. I, I, I got to okay. run. Talk to you soon. Already. Bye. 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 Um, so, yeah. So, today I called Lens Crafters and asked for the exact same pair that I had before. And I figured I could pick them up in about an hour, which is Lens Crafters' right. motto. And I was informed by the Lens Crafter associate that, in fact, Lens Crafters no longer does same-day glasses in New York City. It now takes... Three days. Is it just a New York City thing, or is it a... According to this dude, it's all lens crafters in New York City, and apparently all opticians in New York City are now going to send the glasses elsewhere to be made. I don't know if they passed a new law. I'm not, I, I have no idea what could have Weird. precipitated this. It feels like bullshit. But um, anyway, i got to wait until Wednesday to see what's in front of me. And that's that. Uh, otherwise, it was a great trip. Um, I want to move on to this story that broke this week, because it's serious and important. There's a comedian named Lil Duval, who I've never heard of, uh, honestly, but uh, apparently he's a popular comedian, and he was on a show called The Breakfast Club, which is uh, a, a, the morning show of Power 105.1. It's a very popular radio station here in New York um, pre with a predominantly African-American listenership. It's a, it's a hip-hop station. They have a lot of um, hip-hop celebrities on that show. It's got a huge, uh, huge listenership. And Lil Duvall was on there, and the subject of trans people in the military came up. And um, he started to make some transphobic comments. And then he was asked what he would do if a woman he was dating, if he suddenly found out that she was trans. And here's what he said. 911, what is the location nope. of your girl? Well, and, and she was a transgender. That ain't a girl. I met a boy. That means I met a boy. After four months, she told you I had sex. And then after... We're not having sex. <laughs> We're not having sex. Yes, after four months, you had sex. And she said, Duval... This might sound messed up, and I don't care... She died. I, I can't deal with no. that. No, nah, I, can't I, I can't do that. No, nah, dog, you do that. you manipulated me to believe in th this thing. My mind, I'm I can't I can't I'm gay. Now. I do think I'm gay. No, you're not. She's a no. So that was a, kind of a, a garbled soundbite. But basically, um, if you missed it, he said that if a woman were to reveal herself to be trans that he was dating, he would kill her. And. Uh, not surprisingly and justifiably, that has created a huge backlash. Um, one of the people that was actually discussed on that show was Janet Mock, who's a trans author and activist. Janet Mock had just been on that same show to promote uh, her new book. That same day? Uh, it was... She had been on July 25th. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, so it was basically like two days before. She has a book called Surpassing Uncertainty. And uh, the hosts held up a copy of Mock's book and asked uh, Lil Duvall what he thought about Mock. And he misgendered her and then the entire room laughed. So Mock was one of the first people to respond. She wrote a response in Allure magazine. And one of the things she said was, quote, just so we are all clear, on a black program that often advocates for the safety and lives of black people, its hosts laughed as their guests advocated for the murder of black trans women, who are black people too. 
So it's, you know, it's definitely no joke. Trans women and men, uh, but more so women, are beaten and murdered every day in large numbers, way out of proportion to their numbers in society. And, you know, there is transphobia throughout the United States, but um, the New York Times had an article today, uh, transgender African-Americans open wound, quote, we're, cons we're considered a joke by John Elgin. And it, it is a particular problem in the African-American community. Um, there, there's a heavy emphasis in, in many of those communities on the church, and there's also an emphasis on hyper-masculinity and on, on men not being feminized in, in, in any way. And they see um, being feminine or being trans as a weakness. And, um, and it's a problem. And when, when a celebrity like Lil Duval says something like that, there, are, there can be real repercussions. So I think the one good thing to come out of this is that there's tremendous discussion happening now about why it's not okay to joke or seriously threaten about killing trans people. Um, and I think the, the, the hosts of the Breakfast Club show, even though they try to sort of uh, chastise him, they also made light of it. And I don't think they're going to be doing that again in the future. So hopefully it'll be a, a learning experience for people. But this is definitely a, a topic that continues to evolve. In much lighter news, and you heard a little bit about this uh, when we first tried to listen to the little Duval clip, a woman's face was attacked. <laughs> I saw this on the news. By her pet boa constrictor. And we have the 911 call. Let's listen to that. 
the dispatcher, dispatchers did send firefighters and police to the woman's home. Um, the dispatcher said she had never heard of this, of this happening before. A firefighter cut off the snake's head with a pocket knife, yeah. and the woman was taken by ambulance to a hospital for treatment. And you heard her say that in addition to the two boa constrictors, she had owned nine ball pythons. So much for rescuing the snake, I suppose, huh? I mean, I don't mean to laugh at someone's agony, but it is, it, it's not a great idea to have pet boa constrictors. On your neck. Or pet pythons. And I'm someone who's had a lot of big snakes attached to my face. Oh, Jesus. But they've never been poisonous, and they've never bitten me. Yes. Um, so I just thought that was an amazing story with amazing sound that um, went on longer than I expected. But I do love me some 911 calls. Um, we need to talk about bareback sex, Jeff. We do? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so a couple shows ago, you and I were talking about a study about chlamydia, mm-hmm. that there was this tidal wave of new chlamydia cases happening. And uh, it, it was being attributed to the apps, yep. Grinder, Scruff, and so forth, as well as to people having condomless sex. Because well, of prep. Because of PrEP, right. Everyone's, all gay men are taking PrEP and then not using condoms anymore because the risk of HIV is so much lower, and that's leading to this huge outbreak, among other things, that's leading to this huge outbreak in syphilis. Well, not so fast. Oh. There are two studies that came out this week, um, and the, the really shocking one was, uh, this is, was an Out magazine. The headline is, New Study Suggests PrEP is Reducing Chlamydia and Gonorrhea by Up to 40%. How's that possible? That's what I said. Gay and bi men, such as Aaron Carter... Uh, are using the drug and they feel less inclined to wear condoms. But they're also going to the doctor more often because in order to continue taking PrEP, Mm -hmm. most doctors require that you have to come every six months to get screened for HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, all of the the standard STDs. And so guys who ordinarily might not see their doctor or get tested for these things for years at a time Mm -hmm. are suddenly going every six months. And when someone's infected... 99% 99% of the time, they're going to get treatment. Right. And so even though, yes, people are getting these diseases, they're not spreading these diseases as widely as they once did. Right. And, and a lot of these guys weren't using condoms to begin with, mm-hmm. even before the advent of PrEP. Um, so it, it, it turns out that it's actually a good thing. The regular screenings catch the, the viruses and the other bacterial infections more rapidly uh, and that allows them to get quicker treatment and ultimately avoid spreading it to a larger population. So again, the bottom line is that condoms are still the safest form of prevention against STDs, but B-U-T-T. Urinary tract infection? What about that? Is that what you asked? Said? N- no, I said but, B-U-T-T. Oh, I was B-U-T-T. making a, a, a I says U-T- crude pun. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the reaction. We're all a little distracted quick, here quick today reflexes. because we're, we're in a panic mode that this show is not being heard where it's supposed to be. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's not as bad as people thought. And it may actually be, be, as this study suggests, slowing the spread of STDs, which is always a good thing. Now, meanwhile, another study found that in 16,000, I'm sorry, in 358 same-sex couples mm-hmm. where one is positive and one is negative, not one of them 
not one of the negative guys serial converted while they were having condomless sex when the negative one was on PrEP and the positive one was getting treated for HIV. There was a zero transmission rate. And this replicates other studies that have gone on before. Um, in addition, 32.1% of, oh, actually, I'm sorry, not all of them had taken PrEP. Only 32% of the, of the negative ones were taking PrEP. The, the POS guys were all on treatment, and okay. therefore they were undetectable. It, basically, this is known as treatment as prevention, or TASP. For people who are POS but are taking their meds as directed, their viral load is undetectable, their T cells are high, um, they essentially, according to this study, do not spread the virus to their negative partners, even using condomless sex. And I am using the phrase condomless sex because that's what the study calls it. That is what the CDC now calls it. It is no longer called safe sex or safer sex. It's called condomless sex because as we're seeing in these studies, having sex without a condom is not necessarily unsafe. As long as the person you're having sex with, if they're HIV positive, is being treated properly for their HIV. And it's even safer if the negative one is taking PrEP. Jeff, you say what? I just say a lot of people don't disclose it or even talk about it before they go into having condomless sex. And I think that that's more of an issue than having condomless sex, I guess. I mean, if you can't have the conversation and discuss whether you're positive or negative or if you are if you go through treatment as a positive person or not, then, I mean, it's still unsafe at that point, isn't it? Because you didn't even ask the question. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's always safer to use condoms and it's always safer to have honest conversations with your partners. But we're talking about the real world where people are barebacking with right. greater and greater frequency. And some of those, uh, many of those encounters are anonymous. True. You may not even know the person's name. And we don't like to talk about that in front of straight people because it makes us sound like filthy, filthy pigs. <laughs> some people don't like to talk about it. Jeff likes to talk. <laughs> Jeff brags about it. I don't brag about it. But it, but it happens. You know, people hook up. In steam rooms, at sex parties, they hook up on apps. There's those guys who are face down, ass up, blindfolded. In ass over to the wind, stick it in. Here I am. Exactly. Exactly, Romaine. That is uh, my description on Grinder. <laughs> no, I'm not on the apps anymore. I'm not even on them. But, uh, oh, my sister just sent me a text and said, Snooze, where's Scott? <laughs> she wants to hear Scott Lowell and is a, uh, yeah, thanks, Anna. That's helpful. That's very, very helpful. Scott will be on the phone very, very soon in a matter of moments. We will be talking to Scott Lowell from Queer as Folk. Uh, meanwhile, you can still call us at 844-TALK-DNR, and we have a caller on the line now. Caller, you say what? I wanted to say that you are back on the free preview, and we're looking every minute of it. Thank God. Who is this? This is uh, Paul from Fort Lauderdale. I'm sorry. I, got, I didn't get the name. Where in Fort La Who in Fort Lauderdale? Paul. Hi, Paul. I'm your number one South Florida fan, I think. Well, that wouldn't be hard. If you're in South Florida and you're a fan, you're probably the only one. Keep up the great work. We love it. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. And thanks for the good news that we are now transmitting, as we're supposed to, on both the free uh, channel as well as the Derek and Romaine subscriber channel. Because we want to be heard. God damn it. We just want to be heard. <laughs> Was that it for Paul? Did he hang up? No, he's still there. Oh. Uh, Paul, what's the weather like in Fort Lauderdale today? Uh, great today, better tomorrow. Okay, and Paul, do you use condoms when you have anonymous sex? 
most of the time. Ah, but not all the time. Right. <laughs> Paul's answers are on a 30-second delay. We apologize. He, he, didn't want you, he didn't want to have to admit that on the phone. You made him admit something he's never admitted before. That's right. All right, Paul. Well, right, I, would, I would have used uh, my anonymous name if I knew that was the question. Yes. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, I like to embarrass my listener. My listener. My one listener in South Florida. Um, all right, you guys. I think the time has come. My sister has complained, and I'm sure she's not the only one, that t- today's show is less than riveting. Again, I apologize. When there's technical difficulties, there's a lot of activity happening around me, and it's a little hard to focus. But we're going to make up for it right now because we have, uh, joining us on the phone, um, someone who I adore both as a person and as an actor. And you know him best from Queer as Folk, where he played Ted for five years on the popular Showtime show. Let's hear a little bit of that. Come have some brunch. Uh, no, 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 thank you. Uh, I, uh, I just uh, I need to talk with Emmett, and uh, then I'll be on my way. Okay. What a free still have an erection. What do you mean you still have an erection? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, CNN. I took Viagra last night. It's been 18 hours and it won't go down. What am I going to do? Have you tried soaking it? How about a cold shower? How about scaring it? That's hiccups. Boo! Thank you all for sharing. What about something that would absolutely turn you off? That's a great idea. Why don't you two show them your tits? Brian! You said this would last a few hours tops. And joining us on the phone is Scott Lowe, live from Los Angeles. Our studio audience is going crazy, Scott. They are. Oh, thank you, thank you. Sit down, please, really. Sit down. <laughs> Scott, uh, sit down. This is, you're embarrassing me. We need to know, did your erection ever go down after that? Uh, it, said it did not. Uh, I currently use it to uh, hang laundry from, to let okay. it dry. It's, good. it's multi-use. I, I will say, like, I, to be honest with you, I will say, though, like that episode ended up being, you know when a joke, kind of like it's funny at first and then it gets really old? Yeah. I, shooting that episode and spending a week wearing a strap-on dildo under my pants for like the entire week, like oh, I was hilarious at first. By the time we got to like the fifth or sixth day of shooting that episode, I hated that thing so much. I was so mad. I bet. I now, just let you know that. I've also worn a strap-on dildo for a week, but it not in the same place as you. Really interesting. But, Maybe that's where I had it wrong. This is where I had, you know, I still have a lot to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, you and I um, yes. have known each other since I was uh, 14 years old. And yes. you, you were 19 years old, and it's a, it's a it's a weird story. But basically, you were banging my sister. <laughs> Is it safe I to say banging, that, that that was happening? Was ba- that's what was going on. I I was indeed doing that, uh, delightfully so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, your sister was my first uh, long-term girlfriend uh, in college. And I, I pity you. I, I pity you for that because she's. Uh, no, it was delightful. She's a you handful. Know, and, and she is a handful. Um, but uh, you know, the best part of one of the best parts of of dating her and being involved with her is that I also got adopted by your insane family. Yes. Who not only you know what I spend weekends out in Long Island with you guys, but you took me down to Jamaica with you on a on a trip. Yes. Uh, where I have many, many fond memories of Dudley, the uh, 
the miniature um, butler. Oh, Dudley. Down there. Dudley the dwarf. Dudley? Yeah. Yeah. Who may have robbed us. He might have robbed you guys. Someone robbed us. I recall that. That was also the first time. Go ahead. I was going to say, he was very much like Tattoo on Fantasy Island, too. I remember he used to ring that bell when it was dinner time. <laughs> I, I felt like it was Fantasy Island come to life. Well, that was also the first time I ever smoked pot. I believe you witnessed me completely freaking yeah. out on this really potent Jamaican that, ganja. That's um, right, which was delivered to us. I remember we were just <laughs> swimming. It, it was this, you know, this crazy estate that... I remember they did like a lot of Playboy shoots there or something, but it was this mansion in Ocho Rios. Yes, it was called, it was called Rio Chico. Rio Chico, yeah, and it had its own beach, I remember. And I remember we were out just kind of in the water, ah, having fun, and this Rastaman like came out of the depths of the ocean <laughs> with a snorkel on. Like I don't know where he came from, but he came swimming over, and I just re- remember him like Poseidon rising from the sea with his dreadlocks just dripping. He was an older guy, too, and he just had this Ziploc bag full of ganja. Yes, which uh, he pulled out of a conch shell. Yes, that's right. The conch shell was sort of like the traveling case, and then he yes. pulled the baggie out, and it was this really, I mean, at the time, I didn't know what pot was supposed to look like, but looking back, it was this very sticky, hairy, yeah. pungent, beautiful ganja, and it was far yeah. too strong for my gay 14-year-old ass to be smoking for the first time. Yeah, I, I just remember playing ping pong and feeling like the ball was moving in slow motion. So, Scott, you, when we first yes, met you, when I first met you, you were an acting student at Connecticut College with my sister, and, yes. um, and I got to see you perform when you were still a teenager. I think I saw you in uh, Time of Your Life. And I, I was always I was playing the cranky old guys even then. Yes, and I and I oh and also we, you and I would make silly home videos together where you would play Fernando Lamas and I would play Glenn Scarpelli, who's also been on this show. <laughs> um, and so I always knew that you were enormously talented and one of the funniest people I ever knew. So it was no surprise to me that you became very successful as an actor, um, and then popped up on one of the most iconic shows of all time, which was Queer as Folk. Yeah, I got how lucky. How did you get that show? Uh, Like everything in my life, including getting to bang your sister, dumb luck. Um, (laughs) You know, I I don't know that I could say. I mean, the the biggest factors to it were I had, I mean, I had just moved out to LA. I was in, after Connecticut College, I went to Chicago uh, for 11 years. And just did theater there, and I was a big theater snob. I had no interest in film or TV, but I kind of grew weary of the winters, and I grew weary of, uh, I don't know, kind of hitting a bit of a glass ceiling there. And I started to see, oh, you know, it might be an interesting challenge to try film and TV stuff. And so I moved out to L.A. in 98 and started, again, doing theater there first and then started getting some guest star roles on some sitcoms and... Uh, and did like one movie of the week and a ton of commercials. Uh, and then it was my second summer that Queer as Folk came along. And I had, uh, I remember I, I, my agents got me auditions for two things the next day. One was a movie of the week about firemen. And then the other was the script for Queer as Folk. And I kind of felt like there's no way anyone's ever going to cast me as a fireman. So I'll just focus on this, this other thing. You were, and I read that script. You were more believable as a gay man than a fireman. Yes, I knew. I mean, I knew, like, yeah, there's just no way. Um, and 
I read the script for uh, Queer Spoke, and it was the three-hour pilot, which was the first, you know, essentially three episodes. And I was completely shocked by it and completely uh, overwhelmed by it. Didn't, I didn't understand how they were going to get this on TV. Because, again, like, this was, this was in 2000, and, you know, The Sopranos was on, uh, and that was kind of revolutionary in its way of what, you know, cable TV was now going to do, but I still felt like this show was so way out there, and especially the, the graphic nature of the sex in it. Yeah, um, I mean, were, you, but, were, you, were you worried? Were you scared about, it? first of all, playing a gay guy? Because at the time, that was still kind of seen as a risky proposition for a straight actor, and also playing one on such a, a, sh- a show with such graphic gay sex. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, for me... Uh, I, I wasn't worried about the sex for me because I felt like, oh, this guy is the loser. He's not going to have much sex. And until, you know, and until I, you know, when you go to test for the series, you, you have to sign a contract for, you know, the next six years of your life if you get this thing. And in that was this whole nudity writer, and I was shocked that, like, I had to sign a nudity. That's, like, when it first sunk in. It was like, oh, wait, I have to sign one of these, too? Um, but I honestly, like, I just loved the guy, and I so related to him. And, I, and I've, I've said it a number of times, but especially moving to L.A. from Chicago, I, I just felt like this guy. There were so many parties that I would go to where I would try to, you know, pick up a woman at the party and she would just walk by me like I was a ghost because I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't drive a fancy car. And, you know, L.A., it was like a big gay club, you know, and if you didn't have the status, you didn't rank anywhere. And and it was really depressing for me when I first moved out. And so, and it really ate away at my self-esteem in a way that I'd never felt before. So it was kind of the right time for me to read this character and relate to him. And again, the description for the character originally in the breakdowns was that he was chubby and balding. <laughs> and so, uh, and I, you know, and, I, and again, so where the luck comes into play is exactly what you just mentioned. Because it was 2000, playing a gay character, especially on a TV show, was still really uh, a difficult choice for an actor to make. And the casting directors, you know, told us later on, they literally had a list of over 2,000 actors. Who all of them fat and bald. Exactly, all of them fat and bald, but who would not come into audition for the show at all. Um, the entire um, Dan, Dan Littman and Ron Cowan, who created the show, their agents, their agency would not send any of their actors into audition for a show that their showrunners were represented by. So it was really taboo, and I think that's where... Uh, you know, many of us in the cast, save for maybe Hal Sparks, who uh, was on hosting Talk Soup at the time, and then, of course, when Sharon Quest came in, the rest of us were complete, you know, in Hollywood terms, unknown. We all you know, were working actors, but nobody knew who we were um, because the people who people would know who they were wouldn't audition for the show. So, um, so I got lucky, and it was just and, – and I got lucky again in that – they, I think Dan and Ron didn't really have a clear idea in their head who Ted was. So, you know, I just went in and said, like, this is how I see the guy. And, and I just, you know, kind of what you see in the show was my, my version that I presented in my audition. And it just resonated with them. And I ended up actually being the first one cast in the show. Wow. Um, everyone, everyone else had to go through the test process a couple times at least. Um, I, you know, I auditioned once for the casting directors, once for Dan and Ron. I tested, and that was it, and that was the first one to get cast, because um, I think they just felt like that's, that's the guy. And I think in the end they felt like, too, that 
um, having even a moderately handsome guy with these self-esteem issues is more, um, I don't know, relatable to a lot of people, I think. I think it is, too, um, and I think the rest of the guys on the show were, were all attractive guys, so it wouldn't have made sense for them to have this one, like, schlubby friend. Yeah, you may be right. You, you may know, be right. That I, be, be I believe well. that, that you, as Ted, were, were part of that clique. And if, if, if Ted had been played by Wallace Shawn, you know, I don't oh, think it would have been be as good. believable. No, you were better. No, um, it, would, it would have been hilarious, but maybe, maybe you're right. Scott, the show had such yeah. an enormous cultural impact. And um, right now in the studio, we have two interns who are in their early 20s. And uh, I know that they both are very excited to, that we're talking to you and want to speak to you. Do you mind uh, taking a question from them? I would be honored to. All right, JB, you were telling me that you were in fifth grade when the show first aired. Yeah, I, I, I was. Um, it was a very awkward time in my life because, again, 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 like you just said, gay sex was just a whole new thing in TV, to be on TV and to see that on TV while I was going through my transition of understanding who I was was a real, a, a really... Big moment. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being a part of that moment, sir. You you were fantastic as Ted portraying this character, who as as who he is, being the awkward, uh, just being the social awkward outcast of the group. And I understood that very well. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for saying that, JB. I really appreciate that. And how how were you able to how were you able to watch it in fifth grade? <laughs> oh, excellent question. So my mom worked at the hospital, and there were times where she would sleep, and come on late nights, I would just watch it. So yeah. What did you think of Good all the sex you. stuff? Did you even understand what was going on? Um, I did, but my penis did, and it was just okay. <laughs> I was okay with it because I did watch female porn at uh, that time too. Because again, Cinemax was a thing. These kids start Cinemax. so young nowadays. Yeah. yeah. It didn't do anything for me. I felt weird watching it. It just felt ugh. But watching. But your body told you. Your body told you. Yeah, pretty much. Le- Lexi, did you have and a question you, for? Oh, sorry, sorry, Scott. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you. Like, did you did you have did you have any friends who you could talk to about this, or any other friends who you felt like they might be gay too at that time, or were you really feeling alone and isolated? No, I was really alone and isolated. There was really no one I could talk to at all because wow. my mom just made things bigger than it already was. If I told her I was gay, it would just been a whole big issue. Um, didn't yeah. really have any friends because I was moving around at that point. I just transferred to a new school, so it was like, okay, yeah. So Scott, you're the reason that JB sucks dick now. Just so, <laughs> just so you know. Pretty well, my well, well, if I if I'm the reason he sucks well, then I'm honored. That's there you go. This is gay. <laughs> Lexi, do you have a question for Scott as well? Yes, I do. So this, this is Lexi, Scott. Hi, Scott. I'm Lexi. Hi, Lexi. Nice to uh, talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. Um, my question is for all the starving actors because I'm one of them. How uh-huh. was you able to push yourself to get farther in life with your acting career? And is there well, any tips? Uh, well, I, I would say like be really nice to your family um, because their support can mean everything. But I don't uh, have family, good... so that's checked you, off. You, oh, you don't have family? No. Okay. Well, let's let's come up with another plan. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do have a baby <laughs> on the way. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, the baby's not going to be able to support you. Yeah, the baby's going to be no help at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Baby may be a bit of a draw. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you just, like with anything in life, Lexi, it's just like, you know, believing in yourself and knowing that this is what you're meant to do. Uh, 
and and to recognize that when you're doing all these other jobs, I mean, I had, you know, in in my 11 years in Chicago, I had a good seven of those at least doing jobs I absolutely hated and that were completely soul sucking. Uh, you know, working in an insurance comp company and you know, just terrible things that would I'd spend my days doing that, having it, you know, completely exhaust me. And then I would have to go out to rehearsal and do a show that night. But, you know, especially when you're young and in your 20s, so you have you the energy to do. Or did you go what? and look for an um, agent? I went and looked for it. Yeah, I went, well, again, it's different. Are you, you living in New York, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Yeah, and I guess it's different there. I mean, uh, I, I, again, through the luck ended up in Chicago, and it's, I think, one of the best places to start off as an actor in the country, uh, A, because it's more affordable cost-of-living-wise. Uh, you don't have to you know, work quite as hard at a day job to make your rent and everything. And then there's just so much theater there um, that is important and gets recognized, and agents will actually come and see you in things, and you can get an agent that way. Uh, New York, I think it's from, you know, I, I've done some shows in New York and have a lot of wonderful actor friends there now, you know, some of whom I was on Broadway with. And yeah, Scott, they can't get it. Scott and, made his Broadway they, debut in 2015 in The Elephant Man here on Broadway, and then moved to London, to London's West End. And, uh, yes. and you know, just to give you an idea of what an actor's life is, I mean, Scott, you, you performed probably in hundreds and hundreds of plays. Yes. And were a t- yes. was a TV star, and, and it yes. wasn't until 2015 when you finally got to Broadway. Wow. Yes, and that, and that was after years of, uh, you know, an evil plan I had of coming back, because I live in Los Angeles, um, every summer I would come back and either work uh, up at the O'Neill Theater Playwrights Conference in the summer or I'd work in the Berkshires. And, you know, we originally did Elephant Man up at the Williamstown Theater Festival um, uh, in, in Massachusetts. And that happened through me having met the wonderful director, Scott Ellis. I heard he was directing this. I got in touch with him and said, like, hey, can I put myself on tape for you know, one of these multiple character roles. He said, well, if you'd want to do that, sure. And it was mostly to go back east. I was dating a, a woman who lived in New York at the time, and, you know, it gave me a chance to see my family, and uh, I'd always wanted to work at Williamstown, so I did it for that. But little by little, through me, meeting and working with all these New York actors, it kind of finally led, um, you know, almost nine years later to getting to actually finally work in New York. But it's it's a struggle, Alexi, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, you know, friends of mine who were in that show with me on Broadway still have trouble getting an agent. So, Incredible. Um, and I saw you in that tough. show. I, I was hoping you were going to play the elephant, but <laughs> it turns out you played the man. I played the man. So, yes, but, I, packed but, my, I packed my trunk. You, so, you so were anyway, fabulous. I, I mean, it, thank you, thank you. But it's, so it's, I, I won't say it's not tough. New York is really tough. Um, and that's another thing to consider as well, too, of, you know, I mean, I encourage people all the time to consider other uh, towns like Chicago or other towns where there's wonderful regional theater um, because New York can be, can be a tough thing. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a question of hearing about where, where there are auditions, getting out auditions right. for everything you can, try to get into some shows and hope that, you know, from that uh, and you know, someone will come, will see you in that play, or someone who's in the show maybe has an agent that they're willing to introduce you to. But it's all kind of, it, it like they say, it takes a village. Um, sure. So you can do it, and as long as you keep believing in yourself and know that whatever you're doing in the meantime to help help you survive financially, know that you're doing that for a greater cause. Right. Um, 
Scott, when, and, when, yeah. when you look at Queer as Folk, when you look back on it, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe it's been 12 years since the show was on the air. And yeah. you were telling me the last time I saw you that you still uh, travel to other countries for Queer as Folk conventions. Yeah. That's yeah, how popular amazing. the show is. Yeah, and it, and it remains so. Um, especially, yeah, it's uh, the first convention we did a few years ago in Cologne, Germany, we had uh, close to 500 people there from China, from Russia, from Australia, uh, all over Europe. Um, the show, and I think especially in countries like China and Russia, where uh, to be gay is still a dangerous thing, the show has enormous power to it. Um, and... Uh, it's it's surprising, and it's, but you know it's also part of it. You know what's interesting too is the blend of who the fans are, and for the conventions especially, uh, I will say ninety five percent of who attend the convention are women. Uh, yeah, you mentioned than, that to me. Rather than gay men, and uh, and I certainly you know in everyday life walking around have many many you know gay men who will come up and talk to me about the show. But when it comes to these conventions and things, the real. Um, uh, ardent fans uh, are women, and I think, and to me, that's interesting. I think, you know, it's probably a combination of, you know, getting to see a number of attractive men take their clothes off is appealing. But I, it gets down to the core of what the show is: is that it's these stories, these role, it's, it's a soap opera, you know, sure, uh, and um, and so relatable to everyone. And that's also why the show became a hit for Showtime, too. I, you know, we came out at a time when they had, were putting three shows on the same summer as us. They had a show called Resurrection Boulevard, which was an all-Latino cast. They had uh, a television version of the film Soul Food, which is an all-African-American cast. Yeah. And they had Queer as Folk. And they had decided to kind of go after HBO in what I call like the Burger King model, where they, rather than you know just trying to go for number one, they said, like, let's go after all these niche markets, uh, and then through that build ourselves up. Maybe we will never be number one, but we'll at least be number two. We won't be Wendy's. We'll, we'll get up to Burger King level at least. And, uh, and that's what they did. And I think the reason we stuck around and we became a hit was that you know 50%, if not more, of, of the audience ended up being straight women. So the audience was twice as big as what they thought they were going to get initially with the show. Right, I think that is, um, that is key to any gay show's success. You can't have a show that only appeals to gay people because there's just not enough of right. us. So you have, yes. a, you have a Queer as Folk or a Will and Grace, and they become a phenomena because yes. you have enough straight people that are tuning in and, and, and seeing themselves in these characters, even if it's not literally their, you know, their, their gender, their sexuality, and so forth. Exactly, and I think that may be part of it. I, I fortunately never got to see it. I had some friends who wrote on it. But I, I, from what I understand, I think that might have been some of the problem that uh, the show Looking had in finding, uh, in finding a wider audience, too, is that uh, it didn't seem to break out of just appealing uh, to gay men. Yeah, I mean, Looking, I loved Looking, and I, it, it spoke to me so specifically but that's mm-hmm. probably the problem. You know, it wasn't it wasn't universal enough. I don't know that anyone who isn't a gay guy in his 30s or 40s living in, in a city would be interested in looking. Whereas Queer as Folk, I mean, it just it felt like it could be anywhere in America. It was Pittsburgh. Um, even though I always said... And that was... I, I was yeah, and that was, I was going to say, that, that was a point to it, too. I mean, that's, you know, in following the British show that it was based on, 
which was set in Manchester, they they didn't want to set it in Miami, they did, or, you know, or or San Francisco or West Hollywood. They wanted it. They picked Pittsburgh for that exact reason. Right. Whenever and whenever they like, would show Babylon and they would show like the thousands of, of <laughs> like ridiculously hot shirtless gay men, I was like, honey, this ain't Pittsburgh. No one in Pittsburgh looks like this. There's no club like this. I think a lot of young gay people probably traveled to Pittsburgh looking for Babylon and were sorely disappointed. They do. They absolutely do. I went, I remember um, Michelle Clooney, who played Melanie, and I went to um, uh, Pittsburgh back when we were stumping for John Kerry when he was running for president. And that was one of the first things I said to the crowd. I said, I am so sorry, you guys, (laughs) that people have such a false impression of what the gay life is like here in Pittsburgh. Um, Are you still close with members of the cast? Oh, very much so. I just uh, I just had dinner with Gail Harold two nights ago. I saw mm. Peter. You know, I mean, we all see each other uh, regularly. I just had dinner last night with with Dan Lippman and Ron Cowan. Um, yeah, I mean, it was uniquely for all of us, and just in the scope of our careers. I mean, even Sharon Glass, who's done nine million things, uh, she you know we're still her boys, and she's still our game, and we you know have. Uh, I think partially because we shot up in Toronto, so we were always in our own little protected bubble up there. Yeah. But also the nature of the show and what it required of us uh, to be as vulnerable as we had to be with each other to do this show, to trust each other that much, um, and also the responsibility we all felt in presenting it and in recognizing the history behind it. Yeah. I mean... We got a little, I mean, we would get carried away sometimes. Uh, we had this whole letter writing campaign we sent to Showtime for the, when we had our premiere screening down in New York. Uh, we very much, because it was coming, you know, it was on the, I can't remember, there's something to do with Stonewall that, you know, we really wanted to connect it to Stonewall, having the show come out in New York at that time. And we wanted to, we wanted Showtime to rent us an old-fashioned paddy wagon mm. like that, they, that they used to round up the people, you know, from the clubs. Uh, and we wanted to, like, show up at the premiere in this paddy wagon and then, like, kick the doors open and come on out and be like, yeah! You know? <laughs> so <laughs> dramatic. Whole thing. It's so dramatic. Cause, but we felt like that's how we felt. We were so radicalized by doing the show. Um, and again, you know, of the, the nine members of the cast, uh, eventually, only three are, were actually gay, and but we all felt this the sense of import for this show and what it would mean for the community, and we wanted it to be. You know, we, we used to say that you know Ellen and Will and Grace kind of you know eased the closet door open a little, and Queer Spoke kicked it off its hinges, yeah, and we felt that we felt that power, you know, and um, so because of all that, I think. Uh, and because we, you know, we were, you know, our family up in Toronto for five years, uh, that bond is still very, very strong. Scott, I want to. I think always. I want to talk about one of your more recent projects in the time we have left. But I, I first, sure. I have to ask you a question that comes from one of our listeners, Charles from yes. Cornville, Arizona, or as I call him, Charles from Cornhole. Um, wants to know if you're ever confused with Ted Allen from the Food Network, who was on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Um. No, but I, I have gotten to know him in the past, and he gave me he gave me some wonderful advice. No, I would I wouldn't mind that people would I think I have exquisite taste, and which I don't. So, <laughs> because uh, you played uh, a guy named Ted, and you're the and same his age. Name is actually Ted. And you're handsome. Do look alike. And you're handsome yeah. men who look alike. So it, you know, he was Aww. wondering if that ever happened. 
Uh, it has not happened out in the real world, although people confuse our shows all the time, just the titles of it. Yeah. They say, oh, yeah, you were on that Queer Eye show. Like, well, kind of. Different, but, different yeah. queers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Scott, you, in the last couple of years, have been working on your own web series called Adoptable. Yeah. And, yeah. um I've watched some of the episodes and really, really enjoyed it. And I want you to sort of give your, your elevator pitch because you can explain it better than I can. Oh, of course. Thank you. Um, it's a comedy that's very loosely based on the search I went through for my birth parents. Um, and it uh, tells the story of a uh, somewhat successful uh, actor in Los Angeles who currently uh, stars on a show called Cops and Bottoms, where he plays the first gay cop. <laughs> Which I love. I, I want there to be a real show called Cops and Bottoms. <laughs> We've had that request from a lot of people. Um, his co-star on the show is Noah Wiley. Yes, um, Noah Wiley co-stars with you and Sharon Gless. And Sharon Glass plays the woman who is uh, my intermediary, the one who actually does the uh, the search for my birth parents. Um, and it's, I mean, it's mostly about try, you know something we all go through of trying to figure out who am I. And it's a guy who's reached, you know, is in his forties. He's got a girlfriend who really wants to get married, and he's kind of. Uh, a little commitment phobic about a lot of aspects in his life, and he uses somewhat as an excuse to search for his birth parents to kind of delay everything, but in the end, he ends up getting in kind of over his head, uh, trying to, you know, when he, when he kind of comes to terms with who he actually is, where he comes from, and the difficulties of that, and what happens when you don't take other people's feelings into account when you do something like this as well. We have a short, um, we so have a short a, clip from the show. This oh, is a scene great. in which you're talking to uh, your, your uh, adoptive mother, the woman who raised you, via Skype. Let's hit that. So it's my mom. You know, my mom who raised me. It's uh, her birthday today, coincidentally, so I'm just going to video chat with her. And... Okay, now you gotta check out when she picks up. Uh, it's gonna look a little bit like, uh, you know, Kilroy was here, you know, kind of like that kind of thing, because she refuses to tilt her screen down, so all you're gonna see okay. is the top of her head, and just prepare yourself. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Hello! Hello! How you doing? Hi, Mom, I'm doing great. Happy birthday! Thank you very much, and thank you for the lovely nighty. It is It was beautiful. a nightgown, it's not a nice, it's not a nighty. beautiful on me. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Uh, well, I talked to Mom. The, you know, they're making the film about my... Uh, uh... Oh, oh, that's them? Yeah. Uh, are they filming this? Yeah. You should have told me. I would have worn the baby. Yeah. No, one, no one needs to see the Mom. The top of your head looks great, Mom. Well, oh, Natasha. Oh, moment for Christ's sake. No one can see through your tail. Okay. She really does think she's a person. Yeah. She follows me around from room to room. Yeah. She really She's, she's pretty special, all right. It's such a great show. <laughs> Thank you very much. When are people going to be able to see it? Well, we're currently uh, shopping it around, uh, trying to find a home. While, while we were making it, you know, initially I was going to just like, you know, put it up on video or something like that. But it came out so great, and the cast was so amazing, and we all had so much fun doing it and wanted to make more seasons of it uh, that we decided we need to get it out to uh, some of the streaming services and try to find a place that will put it up so a whole lot of people can see it, and that will help us produce further seasons of it. So uh, we have meetings set up at Hulu and some other places, and we're going to try to find the best home for our baby, get well, it adopted out there. I hope that everyone gets to see it because it's fantastic. And I saw oh, in, in one of the episodes, I saw Gail Harold pop up. 
Yeah, Gail Harold makes a cameo. Uh, Sharon Glass plays a major part. Um, uh, I had a part for Peter Page, but he was out of uh, he was out of the country at the, that time, so I had to rewrite it for someone else. But yeah, my hope is to get you know I'm very fortunate that I know a lot of wonderful actors, and that's why we want to make more so I can get more and more of them into the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I sure hope uh, everybody gets to see it very soon because I'm very proud of it. Scott, you're a busy man. In the time that we have left, how can people follow you on online and on social media so that they know what you're up to and what your next project's going to be? Well, they can uh, go to Twitter and look for Scolo, like J-Lo, but Scolo. Um, on Instagram, it's Scolo222. And uh, there is a Facebook page as well for Scott Lowell. Um, and I think that's all I use. I'm not, I'm not so hip with the Snapchatting and things like that. No, but you have a devoted Twitter followers. Like, people, you've, you've got a lot of them, and they're very, very excited, well, I think, when you tweet they're anything. Yes, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting that um, this many years later, because we stopped making the show, uh, Queer Spoke especially, uh, God, 2005, so 12 years ago now, um, and... You know, I was up in nowhere in New Hampshire this summer uh, working with my sister on something, and we were standing on the sidewalk outside this restaurant, and this guy came running out of this little diner, you know, and she said, are you Scott Lowell? I said, yes. He said, oh, my God, I just, you know, my husband and I just moved up here to open a and b of course. Um, and, uh, you know, just like you can be anywhere, and someone comes up, and it, the show still resonates to them, still matters to them. Um, it's lovely, and you know we're hoping that with the kind of reboot fever that's out there, uh, it seems like it's an appropriate time for the show to come back again in yes. some form or another. Bring it back. Um, you know, we I kind of felt like during the Obama years there wasn't really a need for the show, but you know, boy, do we need it now? Spirit, but I think we do need it now, and so we're hoping. You know, we we've all said we're willing to do something, and we're just waiting for Showtime or someplace to kind of see that there's a, a demand for it because the fans ask for it all the time and hopefully uh, hopefully we can come back one way or another. Well, I pray that that happens. Scott, I love you. Thank you so Thank much you. for talking love to us. Love you too, Adam. Being on the ass. To you too on all you're doing. Thanks, honey. I'll talk to you soon. And that was your lost ass with Scott Lowell, a wonderful person, truly. Please follow him at Scolo222 on Insta and Scolo on Twitter. Also, his website, scottwool.com. Stephen JB, please plug yourselves. I am Steve Cesaro Medina on Facebook and Cub Mexi on Instagram. Uh, I'm Stacking Anarchy 12, only on Instagram. Thank you both so much. We are back again live. We're really live next week with a special guest, TBD. I love TBD. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me on Twitter and Insta at Adam Sank and on TikTok at Adam Sank Official. Email me at adamsank.com. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.